Hi everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much for all of you who have been listening to these podcasts. I am beyond blessed to be able to minister and since 2016 we've uploaded about 131 episodes between sermons and interviews and this has been nothing but a blessing and God has grown my faith and my hope is that God has grown your faith through all these podcast episodes and I want to ask you if you could do something for me. I would love for you to reach out to me and let me know how this podcast podcast has made a difference in your life. If you want to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would mean so much to me, primarily because this is a way for other people to find out about this podcast. So if you could do that, I would really, really appreciate it. But even if you can't, I am very, very thankful for the time that you choose to download and listen. Maybe I don't know every single one of you, but I look forward to one day maybe meeting you at some conference or so on. So thank you so much again, and God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey, I'm so thankful that you chose to download and listen to this podcast. I've been so blessed and as I'm coming closer to 7,000 downloads so far, I'm able to provide them free of charge. But today I want to ask you for a favor if you can. The way I reach people is by ranking in the search results on Google and on Apple iTunes. And if you can give me a rating, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, um, and if you'd like to give me a rating or a review, I'll be so so thankful and uh, it would help me reach a broader audience and with that said i want to thank you again and enjoy this message god bless would you open with me uh your bible to ezekiel chapter 10 verse 15 and we're actually going to skip to verse 18 um ezekiel chapter 10 verse 18 and this is uh, from the esv translation um, and if you don't have a Bible, you can look on your app or we should have it on the screen. Um, it says this, verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out. When the wheels besides them, and they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord. And the glory of God of Israel was over them. I know it's a little bit of, seems a little bit cryptic, but I'll get to, to it. Um, would you just join me in prayer this morning and um, just bow your heads and ask the Lord to open, He would open our hearts. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for every single person that you brought here today. And Father, on this Palm Sunday, I, I pray that we would see the beauty of the return of the King, the beauty of Palm Sunday. Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts to receive your word and that you do heart surgery in us, Lord. And Father, as we step into this Holy Week, this Passion Week, Lord God, as we look unto the passion of Jesus and the things that he has done for us, dying on the cross, as we encounter Resurrection Sunday, I pray that our minds and, and everything will be consumed by looking back at what you've done for us and the great achievement for all humanity. Lord, we thank you. We exalt your name. In Jesus we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you ever had a moment in your life where you were left behind by your friends because they apparently didn't care, you know exactly what I'm about to tell you. You feel extremely disappointed. In my family especially, 
There's a time where my uh, older brother, he's only a few years older than me, he was left behind because my dad decided that he's going to take his motorcycle. My dad had this motorcycle with a side cart, and normally there was uh, three younger brothers, me, Alex, and Igor, and he would always take us in the side cart, at least one of us. And this time, it was Igor's time to go, and my dad, for whatever reason, decided not to take him, and Igor was mad. He was so mad, in fact, he was about seven years old, I think, um, that he started to take rocks and throw after my dad as he was dry, uh, riding away. I strongly, if you're a kid in this place, I strongly recommend you don't do that to your parents. Um, but I think he was pointing out to something that he was very disappointed that, God, that the dad really was leaving. And what he was even more disappointed about is that he didn't actually go with my dad. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird story in our family, but we always laugh at it because it's kind of funny. Here you have a seven-year-old kid trying to show dad what he's made of by throwing rocks after him. But if you ever experience the pain of someone rejecting you or leaving you behind or forgetting about you or abandoning you, you know exactly that the pain is real, right? If you ever had a friendship that kind of just disintegrated and now you don't talk to each other anymore, where they completely have abandoned your friendship. Or if you ever had a spouse that has left you, you know how painful that whole experience is. If you ever had a parent that has abandoned you, you know how difficult that can be. And every single time somebody even mentions something along those lines, you feel that pain of being abandoned. But imagine for a second that you were abandoned by God himself. I mean, the pain that you would feel if you would feel that God has abandoned you. And you're like, sometimes I feel that. It's okay. There's good news and the passion in this, this holy week. But here's how we get here in Ezekiel 10. The children of Israel, they were the chosen people who God chose to show his glory to all humanity. And as you remember, even before that, Adam and Eve has sinned, Pastor, you mentioned it this morning, and as they sinned, they were kicked out of the garden. The, they were kicked out of the presence of God, and, they, and God installed two angels, or cherubims, and they were fleeting towards the east. And as they fled out, they could no longer enter in God's presence anymore. And then we see in, in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we see man's way to always try to get back in God's presence. We see that, you know, God gives the law and Moses establishes what we now know as the tabernacle. In essence, a tent with a courtyard and where God's presence would descend over this box made out of wood covered in gold called the Ark of the Covenant. So the whole time, the, 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 the children of Israel, they could no longer step in God's presence because God is holy, we are sinful, and if we were to step in God's presence, God would kill us instantly because God does not dwell in the presence of sin. 
So they, they set up this whole tent with a courtyard, very elaborate, right? Where people had to go through these rituals to even get to the courtyard. And then a lot more rituals to get to the, the, the holy place, which was a, an enclosure within courtyard. And then there was the holy of holies where God himself dwelt. God himself would descend upon this box that had two angels, two cherubims made out of gold on this box. And God's presence would descend upon this. And then David picks up on this and God delivers the the children of Israel and he starts to make plans for a permanent house for the Lord called the temple. We know him now as the Solomon's temple. Now, even though David started to kind of plan for the temple, it was actually his son who finally finished. He, He was the one who actually constructed the temple, what we now know as the temple of Solomon. So now God himself, his presence was contained in this building, this temple. And people, same thing, they would have to do all these rituals to step in the courtyard. And then they would have specific rituals where they would have to burn incense. We sang this morning, right? About let incense go to the highest, right? Like we let's, let incense arise, Right, so outside in the courtyard, they would, they would bring bowls as a sacrifice to atone for their sin, and they would step into the Holy of Holies, and they would burn incense, and they, uh, then they would step into, I'm sorry, they would step into the holy place, and then into the Holy of Holies. So they would have this rituals, uh, ritual of entering God's presence. And then, whenever, whenever there would be a, a, a king that would go to war, he would come back, and there will be an amazing procession of people using, you know, palm uh, branches and, and cords. And they would kind of shout that the king is returning. So we see this with Solomon, with David. When, when the king would come from a battle, he would come to Jerusalem. And he would, in this mighty procession, think of the, I mean, Seahawks Parade have nothing on this. Trust me, like, I'm talking about thousands of people chanting and the, the king would have this procession to the temple where they would bring the sacrifice to God for delivering the, 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 the children of Israel. It's, it's a little bit of history, but I want to give you context to what's happening here. And then we get to Ezekiel 10, 15, where things turn around quickly. And what happens here is, even though Solomon built God's temple, Even though Solomon is this wise man, he starts to slip into sin. It's not just Solomon. It's king after king after, you know, king and servant. And and, and people are constantly giving into idolatry, giving into constantly turning their back onto God. And God is always warning, if you don't stop, if you don't come back to me, if you don't repent, I will leave you. My glory will depart you. In Isaiah, we see that this this prophecy where Isaiah says, don't say, oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. In essence, what he's saying is don't, don't try to think that you're okay just because God's presence dwells in this temple. God himself, if you don't repent, if you don't turn around, God himself and his presence, what we know now know in English, a lot of people call it the Shekinah glory, but this was this, the glory that would come over the temple, over the Holy of Holies, and then it would enter this place. And God says, look, if you don't turn around, if you don't keep my ways, 
I will leave. And if I will leave, there's no more protection for you. There's no more security. Because, you know, they lived in what we would call today a theocracy, right? Where God himself was the ruler. Even though a lot of people could look at that and say, well, it was a monarchy because they had kings, sort of. But ultimately, the Jewish people understood that God is their king. If God leaves, you no longer have any security. You no longer have any protection. You no longer have any salvation. You no longer have God himself, which is the source of all life, all joy, all contentment. But they don't heed this warning through Isaiah, through, through in Ezekiel, and you look at Lamentations, right? Like you see all these prophets are constantly trying to tell the children of Israel, turn around, repent, change, transform. And people don't. And then we get to this passage here in Ezekiel. And we are told in verse 15 that this was by the Kebar Canal. And then the verse 18, then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house. So it might seem a little bit cryptic. It might seem a little bit like what's really happening here. What's happening here is what they feared their whole life. The God's presence will about to leave is leaving. Ezekiel sees in this vision that God's glory is lifting up from the temple and God himself in his presence leaves, leaves his people, leaves them behind. And this is why I say this morning, if you know the pain of, of being left behind or being abandoned, you would understand what the children of Israel are feeling at this point. God himself, our hope, our joy, everything that we stand for, he's leaving us. And, and what's about to happen, this is about 587 BC, around 590 BC. And what, hap- what proceeds after that is something very, very dark and sad. But God's presence leaves his people. And then there's this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar II. He comes in and he lays siege around Jerusalem. And basically for two years, they're trying to break into Jerusalem. And people in Jerusalem are starving. And there's dead bodies in the street. And people are trying to find water. They have no water, no food. And for two years, I mean... The, the, the city is just in disarray. I mean, people, I mean, kids are crying. There's no food. There's no water. There's dead bodies in the street. And it's just apocalyptic sort of, you know, picture. And King Nebuchadnezzar breaks into Jerusalem, tears down the walls completely of Jerusalem, and he starts to kill people and take the rest of the people in captivity. Then he goes to the temple and he just completely flattens the temple and it's just this apocalyptic you know destruction of what god has been saying if if you don't turn around i will leave god leaves and you see this destruction happening to jerusalem complete destruction i know it's a sad sad picture but things almost kind of get worse because they're taken to Babylon. And this is where we come in Psalm 137, verse 1. Listen to their cries as they're going into Babylon and as they are leaving their hometown. They're in, whoever survived, they're going. And it's, it's such a sad picture where they're, they're saying this in Psalm 137, 1. It says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, Zion being Jerusalem, when we remembered our hometown, our city. On the willows there, we hung our lyres. For there, uh, our captors required of us songs. 
and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion, but how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You see this, this almost like everyone just feels like they, they just want to give up. How can we sing when we're captive, when our city is destroyed, the very temple of God is destroyed? Is, are we even a people anymore? They lost their sense of identity. They lost their sense of who they really are. God has abandoned us. Imagine for a second if you felt in that moment where you were part of that, that people. You don't have to imagine, maybe you're going through that this morning. Maybe you feel like God has abandoned you. Maybe you've lost your marriage. Maybe you've lost certain things. And now you're looking back and say, is there even hope? How can I? And you come to church and you're told, rejoice. And you're like, how can I sing if my family is destroyed? How can I sing when my wife or my husband left me? How can I, I sing when my children are addicted to drugs? How can I sing when the, all of this is happening around me? Right? It's a, it's a really sad message, but there's hope. God raises up people like Ezra and Nehemiah. And Nehemiah returns back, and you guys know the story where he starts to rebuild Jerusalem. He starts to make Jerusalem into a fortress again. And this is around 539 BC. So remember, we're going from higher numbers to lower numbers as we're coming towards Christ, to, to Christ being entering humanity, right? Like I'm talking as a human being here on earth. So 590, 586, I think the Jerusalem falls. And then in 539, some time passed, Nehemiah returns and he starts to rebuild the city. And they start to re- rebuild the temple and, and, and re- refurbish it. But God is silent. You can go and try to rebuild your home, your homeland. You could do all of that. But what we know in this period, for about 400 years, there's no new prophecies. God is, this is known as, in the theological sort of realm is, as the silent years where God is not saying much. And everyone keeps on wondering about that one day where God was with us, but he's no longer amongst us. And, and even though we rebuild our, our, our city and, and sort of rebuild our temple and all of that, God is still silent. Maybe you try to sort of put your life back together. You got a job, you, you, but you're like, you know what? But I'm still going through depression. I still don't know who I am in God. I still don't know God's plans for my life. I don't see a future much. Just because we did the physical work doesn't necessarily mean that all of this other stuff will happen. So this is where, you know, we find ourselves where there is just this kind of feeling of, okay, well, we try to sort of put things back together, but God is still silent. God is, is God still mad at us? Will he ever return? Because that would be awesome. And, and the Jewish people are living with this day by day by day. They, where is that one king that will come in and deliver us, save us? Remember how David used to come in procession and we would all, we, we, we cry out, Hosanna, save us now. Remember that one, that one time? And that's what they're living with day by day. 
They're looking for that Messiah, that king figure, that priest figure, that prophet that will come in and deliver us and save us. If it's from Babylonians, from the Romans, whatever people we're under, when is that going to happen? But Ezekiel actually prophesied this. Chapter 43, Then he led me to the gate, and the gate facing east. So remember, Garden of Eden, they ran east, right? So we see the same thing where it says, I was at the east gate of the temple, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and on the earth shone with his glory, and the vision I saw I was just like the, it was just like the, 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 the vision that I saw when he came to destroy the city and just like the vision that I had seen at the Kabar Canal. So remember when he prophesied that God's uh, uh, glory has departed and this was by the Kabar River? He's saying this, that I saw that God's glory returned just like that time when the glory of God has left. No, we know that after that, it was the silent years. We don't see God's glory return. But we have this prophecy that one day from the east, so if the temple is right here, the east is this way, the mountain of olives is right here. It says from this mountain, from east, the glory of God will return back to the city and back into his temple. That's the prophecy that we have. And here's where we come to Palm Sunday. Here's where we come to Palm Sunday. Now I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two, two disciples and saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs it, needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, saying uh, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought, brought the donkey and the colt and put on, uh, put, on their, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut off branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus the Nazar uh, from Nazareth of Galilee. So a few things are happening here. Jesus, he knows all these prophecies. Jesus is what we now know as the glory of God coming back to the people. J.R.R. Tolkien, if you ever watched the Ring tri Trilogy, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings, rather, he talks about the, the return of the king. You know, the king is going to come back one day. 
If you are a people who your king has left and you have not heard from, that means that you're a people with no protection, no provision, no, no, no joy, none of that. And if you're those kind of people, you look forward to the king returning. And here we're told two different prophecies. One of them is quoted from Zechariah 9, um, 9, where we are told that rejoice greatly. So Zechariah happens to be, he's a, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, but he's prophesying about the things that will happen, and he happens to kind of live in the, at the end of the, the silent years. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt and a foal of a donkey. So this is before Jesus comes as a human being here on earth, Zechariah prophesies and says, hey, this time of silence, I know it's been really difficult, but there's hope. One day the king himself is returning back to his people and he's not coming with on horses because he's not trying to destroy his people. He's coming back. He is a humble king. He's a good king. He, in fact, will be coming on a donkey and you will start seeing him. And all the Jewish people, when they see Jesus coming on a donkey and they have seen he just healed Lazarus and you know people you know have seen other people that came from the death but nobody that was dead for four days and everyone's talking about how Jesus is a miracle worker he's the prophet he's the priest he's the king and Jesus his peak popularity at this point and people start to recognize wait a second all those prophecies they're talking about this moment no, this is, this is happening during Passover where normally, uh, during the Norman day, kind of like Bellevue, right? Like you'd have maybe two, three hundred thousand people. But during Passover, there's millions, a couple to two thousand, uh, two million to about three million people are in this Passover. So there's a lot of people and a lot of people are shouting and they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. And Matthew himself quotes Zacharias and says, this is the moment. This is the moment Zechariah talked about about the king returning back to his people. And then we are told that they take branches, right? And they say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is also borrowed from Psalm one, uh, 18, verse 26. It says this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember? Kind of like how Matthew says it. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords with the, uh, to the, up to the horns of the altar. Now, I know this might not sound much, but it is. What, what he's saying here is, this procession has to come from outside, from, uh, from the east, into Jerusalem, and bind these festivities with cords. A different translation says branches. From there to the altar of the house, to the altar of the temple. That's the procession. And Jesus is doing that. And all people are just, they're, they're rejoicing. Luke tells us that some people are not rejoicing. Some people are like telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, you need to tell these people to shut up. And Jesus says, if they did, the rocks would cry out. Because even rocks know who I am. Right? And he's making his, this festive procession into the temple. And normally, what would happen is the king will bring sacrifices in the temple. But that's not what Jesus does, because Jesus himself 
is the sacrifice. And as he moves towards the temple, we now know that he will bring the sacrifice that will, will be once and for all. After his sacrifice, the sacrifices will be finished. He will pay for sin once and for all. He will pay for all the pain and suffering. He himself is the sacrifice. So he makes his way to the temple, verse 12 in Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. God is coming back and he's cleaning houses, what's happening here. The king himself has returned and those who've been defiling God's house, he he has something to say to them. My house is not a house of, of robbers and thieves. God is cleaning the temple, right? It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children were crying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, you have heard. Yes, you have never read. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out from the city of Bethany and lodged there. Jesus is coming back. The good king returns. And those people in the temple who have been taking advantage of the children of Israel, Jesus is kicking them out. Because the good king has returned. I don't know who has destroyed things in your life. Maybe you had pastors or maybe you had authorities in your life that have, that have acted sort of their God's voice in your life, but they didn't care about you. They just were there for your money or to exploit you. And this is the hope of the gospel, that the good king doesn't exploit his people. The good king comes back and he kicks out those who exploit. Right? That's, the, that's the amazing thing of our God that he cares to the very, very last thing. What's even better, though, is, is it, it, this, this passage that I found in John 2.18. So the Jews, so for whatever reason, John is actually putting this whole thing at the beginning of, the, of his gospel. All the other gospel puts this at the end, as it should be. But John puts this, this hymn, Cleaning the Temple, at the beginning, maybe because he doesn't write chronologically, maybe he doesn't uh, write like in a uh, time sort of, uh, you know, what happened. So I think he more focused on the kind of like the theology of it. So he puts it at the beginning in, in chapter two, and he says this, so the Jews said to him, to Jesus, right? What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But listen to this. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Where therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scriptures and the word of Jesus had spoken. So the the word that Jesus has spoken. So what was happening here, Jesus says, I'm making a new covenant that doesn't require the sacrifices because I'm the sacrifice. I'm making a new covenant that no longer needs the temple because what? 
I am the temple. Remember when Jesus told the Samaritan woman, there comes a day when you will worship in what? Spirit and in truth. You wouldn't matter if you're worshiping in this temple or this temple. The reason we're gathered in a business office, not in a church with glass-stained windows is because we can't afford it. But the other reason is because we don't care. Because God's, God's church is not limited by walls of a building or a temple. God's church is ecclesia, is the gathering of believers. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing away with temple. From now on, I am the temple. And by me being the temple, when I send the Holy Spirit, you, your body, will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians 6.19. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Jesus changes the whole narrative. Up until now, he was go to the temple and worship, go to the temple and pay this and do this and do that. And Jesus says, I make a new covenant. I'm bringing one sacrifice and for all. All those sacrifices were pointing to this one sacrifice that will happen on the cross, which we see in the Holy Week and the suffering that we're going to see in the next, you know, as we remember in the next week. Then Jesus cleans the temple. And he makes a new covenant with us. And he says, I am the temple. And I will dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. And the moment I dwell in you through the Holy Spirit, your body will become the temple. And when the, the church gathers together, that's why we see passages says, where there's, two, where, where there's two or three gathered in my name, there I am too. Then remember how I told you that the temple has the Holy of Holies? When Jesus... It finally dies on the cross when he is tortured and dies on the cross. We are told that the the curtain in the temple was split. That curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And by Jesus dying for us, now there's a door open for us to step in God's presence through the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the temple. Jesus makes a way for us in God's presence. Jesus is the king. He is the one who takes care of our daily needs. We are told that God cares about every single hair that falls out of our head. Because Jesus is king, he's also Lord. And I hope that as a church, we look at Palm Sunday This is the hope, the glory of God returning back to his people. The good king is coming back. And that is the hope that we have in Resurrection Sunday and so on. Then God cleans house. And God does away with the whole order of priesthood. And he is the high priest. So Jesus is no longer just the king, he's also the high priest. He's the one who intercesses for you and for me. If you are going through a really difficult time and, and, and you are just having a hard time praying, did you know that Jesus is intercessing for you? In Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus 
is our priest. He's the one who is constantly intercessing for us in front of the Father. So Jesus is the king who takes care of us. He's the, he's the, he's the priest who constantly um, is in front of God, always intercessing, always advocating for us. Also, Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the living word of God. And that's what I hope that we remember. Because he makes all the difference. Here's how he makes all the difference. You see, on Palm Sunday, as Jesus processes into Jerusalem, everyone is shouting him glory. Everyone is shouting him praise. And everyone is there and it's just an amazing thing to be a part of. But some people came because it was a show. Some people came because they thought they looked at Jesus as some kind of political figure. He's going to bring about political reformation. Some people came because they thought that Jesus is going to be a rebel like Judas Maccabeus who's going to, you know, rebel against the Romans and and bring a, a complete rebellion and they will be free. Some people expected that Jesus will reform finances and how they live day to day. And Jesus, in his humble way and approach, he comes into the city on a donkey. I mean, imagine being that disciple that you follow Jesus because you wanted to be someone. Remember how they were arguing about, are we going to sit on your right or your left when you're in your glory? And Jesus says, well, your job today is to go get a donkey. Imagine being that disciple. But I, whoa, giving my experience and the length I've been following you, Jesus, like, I thought I probably have a more important role than bringing you a donkey. No, Jesus is humble in his ways. But he's making his way into Jerusalem and some people look at him and they see all what they want him to be. But Jesus is not a king of this world. His kingdom is not a political one. His kingdom is not a governmental one. His kingdom is a spiritual one. He didn't come here to to break bodies. He came here to shatter hearts and mend them together again to heal and transform. Jesus came and, and, and the reason he makes so much difference is what are your expectations of Jesus will determine, it will determine if you're disappointed in him or not. Because the tragedy of this whole thing is one day on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, it's so triumphant and everyone is, Jesus, you are a savior, you are a king, you are the prophet, you are the greatest thing ever. And then five days later, the same crowd, at least most of the same crowd, are shouting, give us Barabbas and crucify him. That's what happens when you don't meet the expectations of the mob. But they didn't realize that God was in all of this. God orchestrated Palm Sunday to just really get into the underneath the skin of the Pharisees and and the authorities. That look, he's having influence. There's people who are shouting, Hosanna. They look at him as the Messiah, which brought about Jesus' crucifixion. But if you were one of those followers who did not see that coming, you would be very disappointed. 
But if you listen to Jesus closely, when he told us that my kingdom is not of this world, I came here to change hearts. I came here to heal people, to preach the good news to the blind. And no matter what happens on that, on that Friday and the next Saturday, no matter how painful, how dark, how bloody, how painful it gets, remember Resurrection Sunday comes. And that is the hope that we have in Christ. Our hope is not a political one. Our hope is not a financial one. Our hope is not any of those things. Our hope is a spiritual one. That God knows that what we really, really need is not necessarily more money or this or that or that. What we need is He Himself. What we really need this, this Easter, what we need as a church is Himself. We need the good King. The King who takes care of our needs but also who is our prophet because he's the word. He, he is the priest who intercedes for us. He is the one who brings about sacrifices, the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that everyone talked about and then finally happened. And now it's no longer us. What we try to do for Lord that saves us is his sacrifice. He's the temple and he comes and dwells in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the hope for the Sunday that we see Jesus in the real light, seeing Jesus for He is, and welcome Him, even though coming on a donkey is not as triumphant. But that's my King. He's coming back, and the glory of God is coming back. And no matter how you feel this morning, if a parent has abandoned you, or things of regret has happened in your life, the King, the good King, is coming back. And that's what we see in Palm Sunday. That is the hope of the gospel. And as we remember His sacrifice for us on Good Friday, I hope that you keep on looking onto the day, the Resurrection Sunday that's coming, where God will kick the stone and Jesus will come out triumphant over death, over disease, over every kind of financial problems over the things of this world. If you've been watching the news, things are getting dark and they're getting dark quickly. But we know where our hope is. We know who our king is, who our prophet, who our priest is. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back on stage, but I'm going to ask you if you have not given your life to the Lord. When we go into this prayer, I would love to pray for you. I don't know what you're dealing with. I would love to find out after the service if you need me to pray for you or someone. Uh, I, I, can we have the prayer team by the TVs? If you need someone to pray with right now, I would love, you know, to, to pray with you. If you've been thinking that Jesus is going to usher in your, <laughs> your greatest job promotion, can I just disappoint you this morning and tell you maybe that'll happen, maybe that won't happen. I hope that happens. But Jesus didn't come here to give us a comfortable life. He came to give us a hope for eternal life.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. My hope is that this message inspired you to live in light of eternity. Please make sure to subscribe and it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review this podcast. If you have an event that you'd like me to speak at, I would love for you to reach out to me via my website. You can also support this ministry via Patreon or the website. Thank you again and God bless. Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes when when I'm asked to minister at some church, a lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production, or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you cannot support me financially, I encourage you to pray and if you can, rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much again and God bless.